it's, uh, it's funny that you're giving us this, going to send Michelle and I on a trip. I like to always think of trips for my wife and I, and especially outdoors. I love outdoors. I'm not too sure about her as much, but I was reading about a trip I really want to take my wife on. It's some hiking trail in Austria. It's right here. Thinking about taking this trip. It's called the Abyss <laughs> Stair. <laughs> Look at her face. The Abyss Stairway to Heaven. I don't think she would like this trip, actually. It's a, uh, the, way it's, the way that it's advertised, it's a cable stairway that stretches over a beautiful 2,500-foot gorge connecting one slab of mountain to the next. It says the views are breathtaking, and the stairway itself is terrifying. Yes, it's this wide, and it goes, looks almost invisible as you mount these steps up 25,000 feet. You see a valley underneath you. In a way it's advertised, wouldn't you like to hang on the rocks by a thread? Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> Michelle, let's go. Awesome. <laughs> but in order to climb, they say you are to learn this system called the Via Ferretta. The Via Ferretta is a climbing technique, which means the iron path. So from the ground all the way up to the ladder, 2,500 feet, there's a series of metal rungs, cables, iron anchors that are drilled into the rock of the mountain. And the whole idea is that so a less advanced climber could climb some of the most terrifying terrain without worrying about plunging to their death. It will catch you. So what you need is, first of all, you need this cable system. You can't really see it, but she's climbing on rocks but holding onto this cable. You need dual carabiners which click onto the cable so each time you make it to another section. You keep clipping it on so if you happen to slip or fall, it catches you. And then you have a body harness, so it's onto your body. So you will not plunge to your death. The steel cables have you. The carabiners have you. So really, there's no need to worry. And if you slip, you may dangle 2,500 feet above the air, but who cares? You're not dead. It's fantastic. For me, this is a perfect metaphor for a life with Christ. Let me explain. It's the idea of faith. Faith first starts with situations that are too much for you. Sometimes they seem terrifying, overwhelming. I can't do this. That's the point of faith. You have to keep going even when you know you can't handle it. But if you know you're anchored to something that's going to hold you up, you'll make it. Faith is believing and also knowing that the anchors will hold. You don't survive because of the strength of your grip. You don't survive because of your footing or even your belief that you can do it. You survive because the cables have you. That's the only reason why. It's the anchors that are drilled into the rock that keep you safe. In other words, faith is more about the thing you are trusting in. It's more about the thing you're trusting in than the amount of trust you are conjuring up. Your degree of confidence means nothing compared to the certainty of the steeple cables because they're drilled deep into the rock. So let's say two people decide to go hiking in Austria. One person's strong. I mean, really strong. He's an accomplished climber. Really confident in his abilities, and like Schwarzenegger, he says, I'm going to conquer the Alps, like that. 
I'm going to conquer. And then there's another climber. He looks like Barney Fife from Andy Griffith. I don't know if you know Barney Fife. Skinny, shaking all the time. And he says, I don't know. I'm a little nervous about this. I can climb. I just, I'm not going to look down. I won't look down. Are you sure these cables will hold me? So you got these two guys, Schwarzenegger and Barney Fife over here. They're both fully harnessed in. They're clipped with their carabiners. And they follow the guide up the mountain with the cables. Question. Which climber has a better chance of surviving the trail? They are both hooked in, so they both have an equal chance of survival. The reason's simple. It's about the strength of the cables, not the strength of them, nor their faith in the cables. Now, let's say the confident guy decides not to hook in. He's going to trust his own strength. He places his faith in his faith to survive. I can do this. And it's so beautiful that I just have so much belief in my ability. He knows he's stronger than Barney Fife. He's actually proud that he's stronger than Barney Fife. And plus the climb's so beautiful he believes he can do anything. And then all of a sudden a 70 mile an hour wind gust blows across the face of the rock. Who has the better chance to survive now? The skinny guy. Because he's still hooked in. It's all about the strength of the anchors, not the faith in the person. Faith is all about the object of your trust, not your trust itself. You, you know, the first guy would say, dude, I really trust these cables, man. The second guy will say, I, I don't know, but I'm still going to hook in. It's the cables. With all of this understood, let's talk about Jesus. Because he's all that matters. He really is. Today we're going to come across some amazing stories. Often people will point out that these stories are amazing because of the faith of the people in these stories is amazing. But that's not really true. These stories are amazing because Jesus is amazing. It's Jesus. He's amazing. And when you see just how amazing he is, your faith grows. Jesus isn't amazing because you have strong faith. Faith becomes stronger as you see just how amazing Jesus is. So with that in mind, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9 and look at verses 18 to the end of the chapter. The title is, we're just really going to talk about Jesus today. Verse 18. While he was saying these things, saying like um, old and new wineskins, that's what we talked about last week. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler, Jewish man, important Jewish man, he came in and he knelt before Jesus and he said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, 
He said, go away, for the girl's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. King James says, then they laughed him to scorn. They mocked him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. The girl arose. Simple as that. And the report of this went out through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David! When he entered the house, the blind men came in. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it, but they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. They just couldn't help it. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. He's mute, and he spilled a lot of water. Brian, Brian Howard drank that water. That's why I dropped it. If you were at the funeral yesterday, do you understand? He drank my water. Anyhow, I'll keep reading. Even though, look, see, that's why you hired me. I'm just a normal, messed up man. Anyhow, so there, it says here the demon man was brought to Jesus. And when a demon had been cast out 33, the mute man spoke in the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee says, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went out through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. They were helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So with this in mind, we just read a lot. Let's talk about Jesus, because it's really about him. And I was, as I was reading this, one verse came to my mind. Actually, I shared this verse yesterday at the funeral. And it says this. This is a very popular verse, but I want you to listen closely to it because it's everything we just read, and it's fabulous. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in, bound in, the source is Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's three main ideas that I want to bring out from this chapter, and it's, I'm going to go rather quick, but here's the three ideas. Number one, there are enemies and obstacles every day trying to destroy you terrify you, stop you. Death, life, angels, demons, present, future, scary things are out there. Number two, this thing says, is God has shown us his love, even in the middle of this trouble, in the person of his son. He wanted us to assure us 
could you give me a towel too? Could you give me a towel? Thank you. So they sneak up on you around here. So God has shown us his love in the person of Jesus. And then the third idea, and that's what we're going to see most, most of all, because I think it's the most important for us. There is nothing that will separate us from that love. Nothing. Nothing. No barrier will hold Jesus back. And not only is he more powerful than that thing, he's always present through the Holy Spirit. So we're always connected to him. Which will bring us now to Matthew. The stories are going to prove the reliability of this verse and the excellence of Jesus himself. He's excellent. Some people read this verse in Romans and they're like, that's just a nice poem. You know, but how, how is this real in my life? Because you don't know how scary it is. It's like climbing 2,500 feet above an abyss. Well, the point of Matthew is to show you, to show you that Jesus was this way and he's still this way. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to see that in the passage that we just read, Jesus fights three of our biggest enemies that this talks about. Death, life, and demons. So our major three enemies, he's going to fight here and he overcomes them all. The first one's on death. The story of death is the story of the ruler's daughter. Death is one of our, and I think it is the main enemy, precisely because it's all about separating us. Death means to separate soul from spirit. Thank you. Here you go. Wait, let me do that. Here you go. Oops, sorry. Right. I'm trying to preach, Brian. Please leave. Please out. Out. And... This is your first time to this church? That's, that's who we are. I'm sorry. I, I've got no excuses. All right. So let's take, take five-second breath. All right, here we go. We're going to show how Jesus overcomes the enemies in this passage on death. Death means to separate. That's what it means. Separate soul from spirit, conscious living, in the bright of day from slumber, six feet in the dirt. It means separating a loved one from a parent, a deceased husband from a surviving wife, a beloved daughter from a grieving father. Separation's a horrible thing. Take Dave Harrison for a second. Ever since I came to this church, Dave to me was an assumed part of the fabric of this church. He was Kent City to me. From prayer partner meetings, to deacon meetings, to budget meetings, to Bible studies, to lunches, Dave was there. And I would never think twice about him not being there. He just was. Now he's dead. I'm not, a, I'm not sad for his escape from pain. He was in pain, but I am sorrowful for his absence. He's been separated from us. That's the tragedy of death. Last week, September 29th, was my dad's 15th anniversary of his death. My dad was my best friend. I long for just one glimpse of his smile. One moment hearing him laugh, or just listening to him in the kitchen singing, 
When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. I say, oh, my dad's home. He's cooking fish or something in there. But now, now, there's only silence. Say Dave, say Dave Harrison's name. Dave Harrison! Nothing. That's death. In this story, the Jewish ruler lost his baby girl. That's what it says in verse 18. There's nothing like a father-daughter relationship. There's nothing, nothing like hearing your daughter giggle, have her talk to you about silly things. It just does something to a father's heart. But for this man, no more. Just unbearable sadness. Death is cruel. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But then Jesus comes to town. The one who promises there's no separation from his love, and he proves it. Look at 24. 23, when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, they had hired these people to mourn. They were paid mourners. He said, go away from her, for the girl is dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So they really weren't mourning. It's a, it's a fake oath. But the dad was grieving. And then verse 25, when the crowd had been put out, he went in, he took her by the hand. He took a little girl's hand, a little daughter's hand. And she arose. Jesus loved her. And nothing was going to stop his love for her. But Chris, what about Dave? What about your dad? What about loved ones who have recently died? Is it over for them? Did you know Jesus loves them too? And they really aren't gone. They're just in a different place where his love abounds. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If any man believes in me, even though he dies, yet he shall forever live. Nothing will separate us from that love. How about life? We have two stories of life. But it's a really strange phrase, like because when you read it, nothing will separate us from death, enemies, and then he says, life. Isn't life a good thing? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes life is worth, worse than death. Ecclesiastes 4.2, and I declared that the dead who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. Or Job in chapter 3, may the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said a boy is born. Verse 21, why is light or life given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Why is life given to those with no future? Sometimes life is worse than death. Where is God then? In the story of Matthew, there's two situations that he's going to bring up where I guarantee you the lives of these people were horrible. Verse 20, is this lady, it says, a woman who suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. So that's a menstrual period that keeps going and going for 12 years. No relief. In our culture, there's some relief, but in their culture, there's none. And the reason why it's so tragic, according to Leviticus 15, any woman who's menstruating is unclean. If she touched anyone, they'd be unclean. If she sat on anything, it'd be considered unclean. If she touched anyone's clothes, they would be considered unclean. 
One commentator said she'd be a complete social outcast. You talk about separation. Nobody wants her around for 12 years. She's in personal quarantine. You talk, you think COVID's bad? Imagine it 12 years long. I don't want to imagine that. Scratch that. Sure seems to me like she is separated from God's love, doesn't it? Until Jesus comes to town. Verse 22. She said to herself in 21, I only touch his garment. 22, when Jesus um, turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. She touches him. Wouldn't Jesus get mad because of whatever she touched was unclean? But Jesus didn't berate her. He didn't deride her. He didn't shame her. He healed her and called him her, his daughter. His daughter. He loved her. And because he loved her, nothing would separate her from his love. Case 2 is found in 27 and 29, these two blind guys. They call out desperation, have mercy on us. Blindness to me is one of those diseases to me that would feel like you are separated from people all the time because there's something about sight that makes you feel a part of things. But if all you see is darkness, talk about feeling alone and isolated. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus comes to town. You notice it's about Jesus. And they probably heard the noise and the chatter in the streets. Jesus is here. The promised one. He's, he's healed all kinds of people. He's the healer. He's the miracle man. They probably said, miracle? Miracle? I need a miracle. Jesus! Have mercy on me. See me. Because they can't see him. But if he could see me, some of you are like that right now. I can't see him in this cloud of frustrating life. I can't see him, but if he can see me and he can come to me, then I'll be healed. And what is 28, 29 said? When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes. Then he touched their eyes. He closed the separation. He touched them saying, according to your faith, it's done to you, and their eyes were open. He healed them because his love compels him. Not even blindness separated them from God's love. And then you have one more thing that separates us. and Demons, strange topic. Demons are, Scripture says, real. People don't believe it. But they are real, and they're insidious, and their objective is to cause us to cower in fear and there's never more especially a time than it is around Halloween. The devil loves to keep us afraid. Romans 8 says angels and demons as if demons are fallen angels. These beings that are all powerful. These beings occupy the unseen realm. We don't see them with our eyes. They are spiritual forces of evil. Scripture says daily they lead us into temptation. Ephesians calls them powers. Authorities. History has shown that these same powers and authorities have been the influence behind the wickedness of world rulers. Politicians and kings are their pawns. 
malleable to their will. I still think politicians are being fooled by them. Why do you think we're at each other's throats about vaccines, masks, shutdowns, news stories, and censoring? Because we are the devil's playground right now. He's playing us. The devil and his demons want to divide and conquer. He's about the business of separating us, one from another. Why else, when you're frustrated with the social chaos that this every day we're going through, is the church the first group that is being blamed in our culture? Because there's a devil and he hates the church of Christ. He was even at work in Jesus' day. Look at verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man was mute. Like I illustrated, he couldn't talk. The man was locked up in himself, captive by one single demon. What would that be like? I'll bet you the people had no idea what the problem was. He looks healthy. Bring him a doctor. Why can't he talk? He looks okay. They knew there's a problem, they had no solution, but they knew who had a solution. Jesus, he'll know what to do. Verse 33 and 34, and when the demon had been cast out from Jesus, the mute man spoke. They brought him to Jesus, and the crowds marveled. That means they were blown away, and they say nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel because... Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. So you see Romans 8, 38, 39 is right. Jesus is the total expression of God's love to us. We need to talk about him and nothing else but him. Which brings us to the most important question of all. How do I get him into my life? How do I experience his love and power in my life? The answer is tattooed all over this section, and it's faith. We talked about it. And it's a faith as expressed in verse 22. Jesus turned to the, to the lady and said, Take heart. Your faith has saved you, in some versions, made you well, or healed you. But let's talk about your. What does he mean by that? Your faith, in this case, is not about your intensity, it's not about your degree of faith or how strongly you believe. It's about what you believe in, your focus of faith. Sees Jesus as the iron anchor in the bedrock of life. I'm going to place my calipers on him, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This section is given to us to increase our faith in Jesus as the source, as the one we should run to, just as all these stories did. We learn some things from these stories, and we learn so we have more trust in him. In a way, these stories are to show us just how strong the steel cable is, and how it does not fall apart. Here's three things we learn about Jesus. He is the unique son of David. Look at verse 27. The blind people call him, Son of David, have mercy on us. Why is this matter? Because there is no other son of David who's been prophesied in there. There's nobody else to look forward to or to hope comes because he already came. The son of David, this, what this part of the book is about, showed up in one man, and he'll never show up in another. And that's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the chosen one. He's the only chosen one. There is no other chosen one. 
There's no other healer, no other religion, no other savior, no other hero. This is not about our faith, but it's about our faith in the chosen one, the son of David. Second thing we learn from this is he's moved by our pain. He cares. Look at verse 35 and 36. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease. Why? Verse 36. Read it slow. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He sees you. He sees your weariness. He sees if you're harassed, if you feel helpless. Our brokenness breaks him. So cry out to him. He hears you. This isn't just a sermon. This is about a person that's real right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's kind of like, I know Mark Lindsley's watching me right now. Where is he? I don't see him, but I know he's in his house watching me sitting on his chair. Jesus, in the same way, I don't see him, but I know he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And you know why Jesus is sitting? Priests never sat down because they were always having to do sacrifices. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father because he's done with the sacrifice. It's finished. Final thing we learn about Jesus is he's able to heal. Verse 28, all he asks, do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. You, you know what faith is? It's not this, I believe. It's, yes, Lord, I trust you because I know you can do it. So now you see this whole section that we just read is about Jesus. This whole book is about Jesus. This whole world is about Jesus. It's not about how great your faith is. It's about how your faith trusts in his greatness. So what do we do now that we know how great he is? Verse 37 and 38 basically say the fields are white unto harvest. Tell people. Get busy making things about him. He is the one person, like the iron cables and anchors, who's able to keep you from falling and is able to present you before God's glorious present without fault and great joy. And he alone, he alone will guarantee that you'll make it to the top of the staircase to heaven. So kind of like the blind guys who are healed, Jesus said don't do it, but they couldn't help themselves. I wish we had more people that couldn't help themselves. You want to know the answer to life? It's him. If I am given the mercy to be able to be up here another 25 years, I'm just hoping for maybe another couple weeks. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's all I know. Because my grip, it doesn't hold that strong. But man, that cable of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, he'll never let me go.